today we're kicking off a brand new series called Scandalous Lyrics. Um, and no, it's not a, a study through the book of uh, Song of Songs, um, as one or two people had wondered. Um, but what we're going to do in this uh, over the next two weeks, and, and we're probably going to bring this up from time to time, is we're going to look at a couple traditional hymns um, and just talk about the, the person behind the story. We're going to look at, uh, man, where did, where did that hymn come from? What's the context of their life? And specifically, we're going to look at the hymn, Come Thou Fount, this morning, which kind of maps out for us the story of a skeptic. Um, and so this morning, as we look at that subject of skepticism, for me, there's, there's something that I'm really skeptical of and something that drives me nuts. It is probably one of my... I wouldn't say one of my biggest pet peeves. I'm a perfectionist, so there's always pet peeves around that. But one of the ones that I just really, uh, that drives me nuts, Facebook in general, but one of the ones that I have a really hard time with almost makes me angry. Don't ask me why. It's probably sin that I need to get through that. But um, I'm just, as I'm just kind of, uh, looking at Facebook, one of the things that I keep seeing are, whether it's a video or a photo or a blog post, this, this verbiage um, where people try to lure you in. I don't know if you've seen this, but a couple of the ones that I've commonly seen are, you know, she pours paint in a jar and what happens next leaves me amazed. You know, and there's one of those, he's driving me nuts. I think they're the stupidest, just plan. Okay. So then the next one is, see, we could stay on this. Um, he, he asks a random person one question and the, and the answer will leave you in tears. Um, then one, you know, on the outside, it's a normal house, but go inside and I'm amazed, you know. And, and it just makes me want to delete my Facebook and beg Jesus to come home, you know, to take us home. So these things, for whatever reason, really just frustrate me, um, especially on Facebook. And I want to throw my phone across the room and, and I just get frustrated. And I was thinking about this this last week going, why am I so frustrated about that? Not liking that. And why am I skeptical um, of that? And I think it's because in one way or another, what this feels like is a failed attempt at hope. It feels like this is a failed attempt at hope because we've grown increasingly skeptical of everything in this world. Like nothing resolves anything. There's always a problem. You'll always be broken and it feels hopeless. And so what someone is trying to do, it seems, is make something seem really hopeful to lure you in. And that makes you even, if you're like me, makes you even more skeptical. And so this is exactly where we meet the writer of Come Thou Fount. Because this man named Robert Robertson was a skeptic. Now let me tell you a little bit about Robert Robinson. When he was eight years old, his father died. He was a tough kid. He was was very bright, headstrong. But he became difficult for his mother to handle. And so actually when he turned 14, she sent him to London for an apprenticeship with a barber. Who does an apprenticeship with a barber? Um, But Robert proceeded to get into even more trouble. He was even more skeptical in this and and taking on a life of, uh, of drinking and gambling. And so this is kind of where he's at, um, just kind of going in his own path. And Robinson, who wrote the hymn, uh, Come Thou Fount, is just more and more in his life, just this skeptic. 
In fact, two of the famous stories about him just kind of mapped out his skepticism. Uh, him and his buddies were always drinking. And uh, at one time, they, they uh, came across a gypsy woman and uh, just got her all liquored up, hoping to get their, uh, their fortune told for free. And uh, he was just skeptical. This is fake. This is, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. I'm not sure about this. I'm really skeptical. And then the second story, the more popular one, is that him and his drinking buddies would often go to kind of tent revivals and and church gatherings to just mock the preachers and the people. Uh, That was his point of of kind of church attendance and evangelism uh, in of itself, is that he would go with the idea of being uh, skeptical and just making fun of it, just poking fun at it. And so in this tent revival where Robertson shows up, he was so moved by the message that he in fact writes that it felt like him and the preacher were the only ones there and God was speaking directly to him. And so in the midst of his drinking and his skepticism, he, he just kind of goes from there and starts to follow Jesus. He leaves all of that behind and starts to follow Jesus. And so when Robinson wrote the words in the song, Come Thou Fount, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. That wasn't just something in a, in a creative lyrical sense. That was personal for him. Jesus sought me when a stranger. I mean, there are no greater strangers from God than probably the skeptic who's just drinking and showing up in the church atmosphere just to make fun of it. And that's where Jesus met Robinson. And so here's what this points out about this skeptic is is that although he was once a skeptic, when he met God, he was filled with hope. And his life just completely changed from that point on. And so in fact, feeling the call to ministry, Robinson became a preacher and, and for the celebration of Pentecost in, in 1852, not, not the one that we read about in Acts 2 that we're going to read about in a minute, but later in 1852, about three years after his uh, skeptic conversion, he wrote the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, as a part of his sermon to share. And so he wrote that not, not originally as a song, although we've made it into a song. He wrote it as part of his sermon. And I love this part about Robinson's experience because it was much like what's going on in Acts 2. And so I thought what would be kind of cool is to, to parallel these two together this morning. Um, because in Acts 2, what we're going to find is there's skepticism, there's conversion, and there's repentance. There's skepticism, there's conversion, and there's repentance. And so as we open up in Acts 2 today, we're just going to parallel between these two. And so I'm going to highlight a couple verses and read these to you. In Acts 2, the the first four verses, and then read to you the skepticism out of verse 12 and 13. But what's happening here is the people of God were gathered together in an upper room, about 120 of them, it says. Okay, so a small amount of them. And then we read in Acts 2, what begins to change. And so we'll pick up in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house 
where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So now this is what's happening. The, the people of God are filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, and then here's the response of people seeing this around them. In verse 12 and 13, it says this. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And then in verse 13, we see the skeptics. But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. So this is about lunchtime and they're going, at this point in the day, they're just drunk. This isn't the work of God, they're just drunk. And and so these are the skeptics of what we see much like Robertson. That they were incredibly skeptical. And so what we see in this passage and even in Robinson's life is that in, in our skepticism, God meets us where we are at. In our skepticism, God meets us where we are at. I mean, the first Christian sermon, the first sermon that is preached is preached around the festival of the harvest, Pentecost. But, but let me just, just kind of explain uh, to you. I mean, I don't know how uh, uh, Jews party, how devout they are in their partying, but, I, but they were not expecting this. Like, like they were expecting the celebration of Pentecost, but they weren't e- expecting a message about the Messiah, Jesus, of who they were originally waiting for. And so they're just growing increasingly skeptical, going, I don't know about this. I don't know if I agree with this. They're probably just drunk. It's out of context. I mean, here's the thing about when God meets us where we're at. We never expect him to meet us there. We never expect that. I mean, nobody goes to Mardi Gras and and, and expects that that's where God's going to meet them. No one goes into a mosh pit and goes, man, this is where I'm going to have the moment with God. Nobody expect that, but God showed up and met them where they were at. And you see here, Peter stands up and he begins to preach. And we see this with, with Robinson in, in his drinking, showing up to just mock. He's, he's skeptical and God meets him there. So let's think about that question for a second. Where were you when the Lord came and found you? When he met you, where were you when the Lord came and found you? And maybe for you, you don't have an answer to that yet. I mean, where was Robinson? He was, he was drinking, he was doubting. He was just kind of hanging out with his buddies. And as he put it, he was, he was a stranger wandering from God. So, so where were the, the Jews at in, in Pentecost? They're in the midst of celebration and not yet even realizing that, that who really this is all about is Jesus. So where were you when the Lord came and found you? I mean, let's, let's think about this question for a moment. Just think about that for you. Because what this means is when God meets us where we are at, it means that he never intended for you to begin with a perfect you, but that he desires for you to begin with a willing you. Not a perfect you, a willing you. 
And see, there's a big difference. I mean, before Peter gets up to preach, the crowd doubted. And here's why I think they they doubted and why they were skeptical is because they didn't know the people who were now filled with the Holy Spirit as having boldness or spines of steel. You know, their context was thinking, these are drunk. These people are just drunk. They didn't understand because they, they saw them as they once were. So all of a sudden, these people are are not afraid anymore. They're making much of Jesus, and they get up with boldness. Peter stands up as a fisherman and and, and just gives this sermon at Pentecost. And and what we read then later is that 3,000, about 3,000 become saved. And so from the 120 size church, it's now about a mega church. It's 3,000 plus. And, and who, who led them there? Who, who did God use to lead them there? It was a fisherman. A fisherman who, who constantly battled with his understanding of God. And so when God meets us where we're at, what we see is that he doesn't intend for that to begin with a perfect you, but a willing you. With it willing you. And so God meets them where they are. And then we see through that, that God shows us the truth about ourselves. When God meets us where we are at, then God shows us the truth about ourselves. And we see this in Acts 2, in in two parts of Peter's sermon. Here's what I find interesting. Whenever someone repeats something in scripture, I think it's important for us to take note of. Um, I think scripture is important to take note of and of itself. But when it repeats itself, I think there's, there's some extra weight there of you really need to grab hold of this. And so in two of the verses in the midst of Peter's message in verse 23, he says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And so Peter makes it personal. I mean, this is the the least seeker, church-friendly message you can ever imagine. And he says, listen, hey, by the way, you killed Jesus. And I would imagine it got really quiet. And then later in in his talk, in verse 36, then it says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This Jesus whom you crucified. And so Peter repeats himself twice in these verses, telling the people, you killed Jesus. This is the context of what is going on. But most likely, I think what we we need to understand too in this is that uh, some of the people, if if not all of them, probably were not there literally the one, being the ones who physically crucified Jesus. But what Peter is saying in this context to those who weren't even there and going, man, who is this guy that I have ownership in killing? What he's saying is all of us play a role in Jesus's death because his death was in our place. Because it was our responsibility and our penalty for the cross. But Jesus took that for us. Remember, we talked about that last week. Jesus became our sin. And so Peter is just identifying, here's, here's the truth about you guys. You need to understand. Jesus paid it for you. you. This is the Jesus of who you killed, who you've been waiting for. 
And so he shares the truth with them of what's going on. And everyone wants the truth. In one way or another, we all want to hear the truth, but no one wants to be honest. Here's the struggle. Everyone wants the truth. We want more truth in our life, but we don't want to be honest. So here's where we need to really do some work and understand. To move out of skepticism, for you and I to move out of skepticism and into hope in Christ, we have to get real about what's true about ourselves. We have to get real about what's true about ourselves. So we need to get honest. We need to be honest about where we struggle and not just speak it out, but really actively own it. We, where we struggle, what we feel, what we, what we don't feel. I mean, there's times where, where people get up and, and talk about missions overseas. And, and, and I don't know about you, but there's times where I'm just praying and going, man, God, I feel a disconnect. That's overseas. That doesn't affect me. I mean, just to be honest with you, you know, there's times where people can get up and be like, this is where my heart aches for that. And, and as the church, I think sometimes we, we take a disconnected stance and go, I don't feel that. We need to be honest about what we feel and what we don't feel. We need to be honest about where we're wrong. Because all of us in many points of our lives are wrong. And we're scared to death to be honest about that. We're scared that, that if, if we were to own that we are or were wrong, that everything would change. We need to be honest about where we have or, or are failing. To just own that, we need to be honest. And I think this parallels so perfectly in Robinson's song when he wrote, Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. See, the definition of constrained is to compel or push someone toward a particular course of action, almost being tied to. So as, we're, as we become honest about the truth about ourselves, it means that we are being constrained to God, that we choose to be constrained to God because we need to be rooted in our relationship with God. As we become honest, it's not dependent upon us. It's completely upon God that we lean more on him and we become rooted in him, constrained to him, tied to him. And so Paul maps this out in Colossians 2 and verse 6 and 7. He says, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. And so as God shows us the truth about ourselves and we get honest, I mean, my prayer is that we really get honest. That then we see that as we're getting honest, God calls us into real repentance. Not, not just the run of the mill, uh, what we typically think of repentance, but real Repentance. In Acts 2, after, at the end of Peter's message, it says this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, 
every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we see at the end of this and and even in, in Robinson's response of hearing the message of Jesus that God calls us into real repentance. Now see, repentance is a, is a biblical term. It's something we don't hear very often in culture, but it, it means to have just a sincere regret or remorse. It, but see, I think too often we just go, man, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. And we go on from there and we don't really mean it. Our sorry doesn't carry any weight within our own heart. But true repentance, real repentance is from within us. It's grieving the separation when we choose sin over our savior. Because real repentance is asking God to break our hearts for what breaks his. Real repentance is asking God, would you break my heart for what breaks yours? In 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. And so real repentance really has to come down to conviction. Now, let me, let me just stop for a second. Something that's not in my notes that I think is really important for us to understand. There is a big difference between Conviction and guilt. Conviction is of the Holy Spirit. Guilt is from human beings. Okay? Guilt is from ourselves, from human beings. Conviction is of the Holy Spirit. And so as we see that God calls us into real repentance, it's really a conviction through the Holy Spirit. And so as we see in Robinson's story, as we just come to a close this morning, Robinson later in his life really began to struggle. I mean, once a preacher, I mean, singing to, leading the masses, preaching hundreds of sermons, later in his life, he really struggled. And he he just kind of walked away from, from his full belief in God, started believing other things that were not of God and, he, and, and, and doubt and, and skepticism just kind of began to, to set back in. And in fact, one day as Robinson was traveling in a stagecoach in England, he noticed a lady crossing him and, and she was just deeply focused and, and, uh, and humming a hymn. And he just said, excuse me, could you, could you tell me, is that, what are you humming? And, and she says, yeah, it's, it's uh, out of my hymnal. It's a hymn, come thou fount of every blessing. And so he says, would you, just, would you just read to me the next line? And so she reads to him, not knowing the, the authorship, the line, come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. And teach me some million sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. It's been a long morning so far. And praise the mount I'm fixed upon it. Mount of thy redeeming 
love. And so Robinson in that moment responds to the woman and says, thank you. Thank you for reading that to me because I'm the poor, unhappy soul who wrote that many years ago. I'm the man who is so unhappy at this point. I've walked out of where God had met me. I've walked out of understanding the truth about myself and I've walked out of real repentance to pursue skepticism again. And so even in that, we see that God meets him in a moment where a woman's just hemming or uh, humming this hymn. And so although Robinson wandered and the, and the story doesn't say if Robinson returned to the Lord in his later years, if you know that story, I'd love to hear that. Um, but, but what we see is, is that we don't know. And, and so in this lyric, I think regardless of where Robinson ends in the, in the end of his life, I think there is an incredible example to what he wrote uh, for us to not waver from the truth that is in God. When he, when he wrote this, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. So we see God just meet Robinson in this time of skepticism. And what he writes becomes relevant for us today that when we're in a time of, uh, of skepticism and, and doubting that we see that God meets us where we're at. He shows us the truth about ourselves and he calls us into real repentance. And here's why he does this. He does all of this to turn us from how we are skeptical, like Robinson, and, and even as we see those in Acts 2, to turn us from our skepticism towards the hope that is in Jesus. Let's pray.